This used to be the Bible Belt. Those words startled me when I heard them from one of the church planners in our network, a young man named Chris Causey, who pastors a church in the city of Boston, Massachusetts. I was there a few weeks ago for a meeting in our church planning network, and we met with a number of church planners and leaders who are planning churches, and I'm happy to say there is a small but thriving movement of gospel churches. There is incredible synergy and gospel unity, but I was taken back when one of those young leaders said of his city that he had this great burden for, the city of Boston, Massachusetts, the city we associate with secularism and intellectualism intellectualism, the city of Harvard, the city where so much has, has uh, rejected evangelical Christianity. And then he said this, this used to be the Bible Belt. And I thought, you know, he's right. This was the city. In fact, he said this was the city that was meant to be the city set on a hill, a city whose light would shine bright. And he said, now it is a city where the name of Christ is all but forgotten. He is written on the walls and on the halls, but he is not in the hearts of the people. That's what he said. And he went on to describe their good work. He described their overwhelming burden that whereas once this was a city that gave birth to indeed a national awakening, they're praying that it would happen again. And I thought, you know, he's right. And this is where the spiritual awakening in America took place. This was like the epicenter of it. Preachers like Jonathan Edwards and Others like George Finney and, and one a British preacher named George Whitfield. At one time, you may find this hard to believe, George Whitfield was probably one of the most famous men on the planet. When he came from Britain to New England to preach, thousands came to hear him preach. He would preach in the open air because the churches could not convert or could not hold it. In fact, in his farewell sermon on what is known as the Boston Commons, he drew 23,000 people in the year 1739. That's more than the number of people who actually lived in Boston. He preached at Harvard. He preached at Yale. And the newspaper reported, and I quote, the college is entirely changed. The students are full of God. There are unusual times that happen in history when God shows up. And often those times occur after a crisis. Often those times occur when the situation seems bleak. And somehow, it's hard to explain it, but there is something that is simply a move of God. An older generation called it revival. When sleeping Christians were roused when nominal or counterfeit Christians actually get converted, and when hardened hearts resistant to the things of God get broken. I wonder if we are ripe for a new move of God. I wonder if we're even longing for it. We've come through a challenging season, both as a country and as a church, and it really is time for a comeback. But what we need is not a comeback to normal. What we need is a comeback to something supernatural. 
We need a return to God. We need again what was commonly called revival. The Bible is full of comeback stories. Stories that illustrate the redemptive work of God in the lives of broken people who are far from God. And this summer we're going to look at some of those comeback stories. And today we're going to look at a story of, of one of those revivals in the book of Second Chronicles. It's an Old Testament history book. It's one of those history books that tells the story of the Jewish people. And in Second Chronicles chapter 30, you read one of those stories, and I want us to look at it this morning. In Second Chronicles chapter 3, and I want us to read all the way down through verse 12 as we begin this summer comeback at Calvary. Second Chronicles chapter 30, we're going to look at the first 12 verses. And across all three of our campuses, I want to invite you to stand with us as a way of just honoring and reverencing the authority of God's Word. This is what the Bible tells us. Then Hezekiah sent word throughout all Israel and Judah. He also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh to come to the Lord's temple in Jerusalem to observe the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his officials and the entire congregation in Jerusalem decided to observe the Passover of the Lord in the second month because they were not able to observe it at the appropriate time. Not enough of the priests had consecrated themselves and the people hadn't been gathered together in Jerusalem. The proposal pleased the king and the congregation. So they affirmed the proposal and spread the message throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan to come Observe the Passover of the Lord, the God of Israel, in Jerusalem, for they hadn't observed it often as prescribed. So the couriers went throughout Israel and Judah with letters from the hand of the king and his officials, and according to the king's command, saying, Israelites, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, so that he may return to those of you who remain, who have escaped the grasp of the kings of Assyria. Don't be like your ancestors and your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord, the God of their ancestors, so that he made them an object of horror as you yourselves see. Don't become obstinate now like your ancestors did. Give your allegiance to the Lord and come to his sanctuary that he has consecrated forever. Serve the Lord your God so that he may turn his burning anger away from you. For when you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will receive mercy in the presence of their captors and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful. He will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. So the couriers traveled from city to city in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun, but the inhabitants laughed at them and mocked them. But some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. Also, the power of God was at work in Judah to unite them to carry out the command of the king and his officials by the word of the Lord. Father, would you show us what it means to return to you? And we pray this morning for that one, for those who hear, for those of us who need to come back into your presence, to return to you that you may return to us. Speak as only you can speak into our hearts is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. And you may be seated. 
Hezekiah was one of the kings of Judah. He was actually the 14th king in Jewish history. And you may not be as familiar with Hezekiah. You know about David. You know about Solomon. But if there were a Mount Rushmore of Jewish kings, Hezekiah would almost certainly have made the cut. When he became a king at the age of 25, somewhere around the year 716 BC, he took over a kingdom that had seen decline in faithful worship. They had been infiltrated by paganism and idolatry and the things of God and the worship of God had fallen into sad disrepair. In fact, according to 2 Chronicles 28 and verse 24, his father Ahaz had even closed the temple for worship. Hezekiah became the king and began to lead the people in a spiritual comeback. Now, the story is too much for us to be able to fully appreciate today, but we're going to try to just touch into parts of it. This movement, this comeback, this revival actually begins in 2 Chronicles 29. And while we don't have time to walk through all of that chapter, I thought I'd just at least show out, show you a couple of those verses in 2 Chronicles 29 because I want you to see what happened when Hezekiah became the king. In verse 3 it says, in the first year of his reign, that means it's one of the first things he did. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the Lord's temple and repaired them. Now I told you his father had shut the doors of the temple. And evidently, not only were the temple doors closed, but they had been closed so long they were actually in disrepair. He had to open them and repair them. He brought in the priests and Levites and gathered them in the eastern public square. And this is what he said to them. Hear me, Levites. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord. Now just stop right there and look at two things that had to happen for revival to come in the land. First of all, they had to consecrate themselves. The first step was they needed to get right. There were things in their lives that were impure. There were things in their lives that were sinful. There were things in their life that were not right. And the first thing Hezekiah said is, you need to get your heart right with God. You need to consecrate, dedicate, cleanse yourself. What sin needs to be confessed? What attitude needs to be confronted? Not only do you need to consecrate yourselves, you need to consecrate the temple of the Lord. The place of worship, the place of sacrifice, the place where you bring your praise to the Lord had simply fallen into disuse and disrepair. And you need to consecrate it again. Remove everything impure from the holy place. For our ancestors, he doesn't pull any punches here, were unfaithful. And they did what was evil In the sight of the Lord our God, they abandoned him. Could that be said of any of us? Could that be said of people around us? They abandoned him. They turned their faces from the Lord's dwelling place. And they turned their backs on him. Hezekiah said, consecrate yourself and consecrate the temple. 
And the rest of the chapter tells us that's exactly what they did. They made things right with God through confession and repentance. And they restored the worship. And at the end of the chapter, this is what it says. It says at the very end of the chapter, that's verse 6, the very end of the chapter. In verse 27 it says, then Hezekiah ordered that the burnt offerings be offered on the altar. And when the burnt offerings began, the song of the Lord and the trumpets began. I love that. Because it's when the sacrifice goes down that the song goes up. When they put the sacrifices on the altar, the song returns. And I'm just wondering if somebody's lost their song. I'm just wondering if anybody's lost the song, the joy. But when they put on the altar what needed to go on the altar... And we know what the Lord's told us to put on the altars, to give ourselves as a living sacrifice. That's when the song of the Lord and the trumpets began, accompanied by the instruments of the King David of Israel. The next verses say the whole assembly was worshiping, singing the song, blowing the trumpets. All this continued until the burnt offering was completed. When the burnt offerings were completed, the king and all those present with him bowed down and worshiped. Revival comes when we humble ourselves and we return to the Lord. Now, we could just spend all our time talking about chapter 29, but I want you to use that as an introduction. All of that is going on, and then you get the story in chapter 30. And this is the story I really want you to focus in on, and it's what we just read. When you get to chapter 30, this revival is taking place, and God works through Hezekiah to do something that was really very, very bold. Verse 1 of chapter 30 tells us that Hezekiah sends word throughout all of Israel and all of Judah. It says specifically that he wrote letters, this is all significant now, to Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 3 says that the message went from the city of Dan to the city of Beersheba. Now, to understand how historic this moment is, well, you need to understand just a little bit about the history of the Jewish people. I won't bog you down in history, but just kind of put your thinking cap on just for a moment, okay? Because some of you know, and I want to use this little map, and maybe you can see it here. This is roughly a map of the promised land, the Jewish people during the time of the kings. About 200 years before the days of Hezekiah, there was a rebellion. David had a son named Solomon. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam. You may remember the story. David's grandson, Solomon's son, there's a civil war that breaks loose. And what happens is the northern ten tribes go north. They rebel against the house of David. They rebelled against Solomon's son. They said, we're going to be our own kingdom, and they become the northern kingdom, this green, the northern kingdom of Israel. The southern kingdom is Judah. And if you were to see the tribes, you would know mainly it's just the tribe of Judah, and there's a little area for the tribe of Benjamin. That's where the word Jew comes from. It comes from the people of Judah. Because the northern tribes rebelled. Instead of coming to Jerusalem to worship, they built their own capital in Samaria. Instead of coming to the temple to worship, they built their own temples and said, we're going to worship 
our own way. And this goes on for 200 years. Now imagine that in the United States Civil War, it hadn't ended the way it ended. Imagine that they had finally just drawn a truce and the South and the North were two different countries. And imagine it had been that way for 200 years. The Civil War wasn't even 200 years ago. This was 200 years that they were two separate countries. Israel to the north, Judah to the south. Israel was influenced by apostasy, by idolatry, even more than Judah. The prophets always condemned the kings of Israel. There were no good kings in Israel. The reason? Because they kept these false, they kept these false places of worship and they didn't come to Jerusalem. They wouldn't let their people come to Jerusalem. No more going to Jerusalem. 200 years go by. Around 722, this northern kingdom is finally defeated. The Assyrians march in. They're from up there. The Assyrians march in and defeat them, destroyed them, carried their people off, intermarried with them. Hundreds of years later, some of their descendants will be known as the Samaritans. The Assyrians come in, they intermingle, they intermarry, and they wipe out the ten tribes of Israel. All that's left is the southern kingdom of Judah. Hezekiah is the king of Judah. When revival takes place, Hezekiah thinks to himself, wouldn't it be awesome if we sent messengers all through the land? Now, they were under Assyrian rule, but the Assyrians at this time were off doing other things, so it wasn't like they guarded it that close. And so Hezekiah goes, wouldn't it be awesome If we sent messengers all through Israel and we told all of our brothers to come home. And so he gets messengers and he sends them. Ephraim is a word, is one of the tribes, but it's the most powerful tribe. So sometimes the prophets use Ephraim to speak of all Israel. And Manasseh is another one of those tribes. But when he mentions Dan to Beersheba, let me show you why that's important. He sent messengers to Dan. You know what's important about Dan? It's way up here. You know what's important about Beersheba? It's way down here. And the prophets would often speak of Dan to Beersheba to cover the extent of Jewish territory when the nation used to be united. It'd be like an American saying, from New York to Los Angeles, or from Seattle to Miami. Everybody knows what you're saying. You're saying from one end to the other. And that's what Hezekiah was dreaming about. Hezekiah said, wouldn't it be awesome. If all these people who have been gone from the Lord for 200 years got an invitation to come back home, come back to Jerusalem, come come back to the temple, come back and worship. And there are two parts of that invitation which I think are really, really interesting. One is the message One is the message, because you know what the message was? The message was, come back and observe the Passover with us. Now, I know we're in like some Bible history, but but you know this, some of you know this. You know what the Passover feast 
commemorated. Remember? The Passover feast was to remind the Jewish people of how God had saved them out of the land of Egypt. You remember this, right? You remember this? How on the night they were in Egypt, on the last plague, God said, put the blood of the lamb on the doorpost and the death angel, the wages of sin is death, but if you will trust in the blood of the sacrifice lamb, God will pass over. God will save you. This is what you deserve, but this is what God will give you. You deserve justice, but God will give you grace, and he will pass over he will pass over and he will save you as his own people. And from that day on, the Jewish people were commanded to observe the Passover feast every year. Here's the problem. Here's the problem. They didn't always do it. In fact, the Israelites in the north, they hadn't really done it. Not like the Bible told them to do it in 200 years. The Passover feast for us is a picture of our sacrifice lamb. It was Jesus who was slain on the Passover day in Jerusalem. Jesus, the Passover was a picture of what God would do for us in Jesus Christ when the lamb of God was sent to take away the sins of the world so that whoever puts their trust and belief in Jesus will not die even though the wages of sin is death. The gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ. Jesus is God saying, come to me and I will forgive you. I will cleanse you. I will give you life. And so what a beautiful picture of a message. The other thing that jumps out at me is the messenger. The king, watch this, the king wanting all of these people to come back home appoints some messengers whose job it is to go all through the land from Dan to Beersheba, from the top to the bottom and invite everybody to come home. And what a picture of what our responsibility is as the church. Are we not the couriers of the king? Are we not the ones that the king has called to us and said, hey, listen, I got a lot of people out there and they, they, they need to come home. They need to come back. I want to save them. I want to forgive them. And I need you. I need you to carry the message. Go to the furthest country. Go to the furthest city to the south. And I need you to tell them to come back to the temple. It's a beautiful picture. Now, just, just real quick, a couple of things. The invitation goes out. The invitation goes out. And, um, and, and, and there are really four imperatives in this invitation. Four verbs are found, and I just want to give them to you very, very quickly, because this is what God is inviting you to do. And he actually, these are words right out of the text. And if you need to come back to the Lord, and you think, how do I come back to the Lord? These are the four verbs. Are you ready? They're right here in the word of God. The first word is the word return. It's the word return. You see it here in this verse. The verse is 2 Chronicles 30, verse 6. The couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the hand of the king and his officials and according to the king's command saying, Israelites, here's our word. Return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that he may return to those who remain, who have escaped from the grass of the kings of Assyria. The first word is the return. God's word is to come back. They were descendants of rebels, separated from God's mercy in the temple. But God is offering a full pardon if they will return. There's another word for return in the Bible. You know what it is? It's the word repent. And that's the very word that was used when 
This is John the Baptist. John the Baptist said, repent, the kingdom of God has come near. When Jesus started preaching, Matthew 4, 17 says, Jesus said the same thing. Repent, the kingdom of heaven has come near. God's first word is always turn around. Repentance is the conscious decision to turn away from your sin, to turn away from your alienation to God, and to take a step of obedience. It is to change your mind and to change your direction. It means to turn around. And in order to turn around, and this is the hard part about turning around. It's the hard part. You have to first admit you're going in the wrong direction. Did you know that? You never turn around until you grapple with the realization, I need to turn around. In fact, in fact, this is what God says in verse 7 and 8. Don't be like your ancestors. You know what he's saying to them? Don't be like everybody else you know. Don't be like your brothers. They were unfaithful to the Lord. Don't become obstinate like your ancestors did. God was saying to them, don't be stubborn. The opposite of repentance is stubbornness obstinacy. It is the refusal to admit when you're wrong. It is the refusal to say, I am sorry. It is the unwillingness to change directions. Repentance is the willingness to say, I am wrong. I messed up. I want to change. But the Bible says in verse 6 that God is merciful. And if you return to him, he will return to you. He takes the initiative Salvation is his work. He sends the messengers all throughout the land. But you must respond to the message and return to him. And if you do, he will return to you. The second word is the word give. Return is the first verb. The second one is the verb give. And you see it in this verse. It's verse 8. Give your allegiance to the Lord. What God is asking for here is your loyalty, your allegiance. It means to put God first. Some translations say yield yourselves or submit yourselves. This is the picture of total surrender. Hezekiah is not offering a one-time experience, a box you check, a religious hoop you jump through. He is inviting them to come back to God with all their heart and let God take their rightful, his rightful place in their lives. It is a way of saying, make him your God again. Give him your allegiance. The New Testament picture is putting yourself on the altar, taking up your cross and following Jesus. There's a third verb. It's the word come. Come, return, give, and come. Look at what the verse says there. It uses that word. That's ahead of us. The, the verse is actually verse 8. The first part of it says, and come to his sanctuary. There it is. And come to his sanctuary that he has consecrated forever. Come to his sanctuary. The sanctuary is where God is. It's the presence of God. And what Hezekiah is saying to them is, tell them to come back into the presence of God. For the Jewish people, that was the temple. Again, the northern tribes had been in rebellion against that temple for over 200 years. And now the nation was ruined. The Assyrians had destroyed it. God was inviting them to return and experience his presence. 
How many of you have learned there is a different... Now, by the way, the Israelites had religion. They tried to take... Here's what the Israelites did. They tried to take what they had learned in Judaism... Thing, you know, there was one God and they knew about the temple and they knew about Abraham and Isaac and they know all that. So they tried to take a little bit of what they had learned and to mix it with everything else they had learned. They just tried to build their own. And it didn't work. How many of you have learned there's a difference between religion and having a relationship with God? And what Hezekiah is saying is come into the Lord's presence. I'm not asking you to go through empty motions. I'm asking you to come into the presence of the Lord. And if you are tired of pretend Christianity and artificial faith, listen to the Lord's invitation. Come into his sanctuary. And then the last word is the word serve. The word serve. And the verse there in verse 8 says, Serve the Lord your God so that he may turn from his burning anger away from you. In this context, the command to serve is not so much about any one specific thing that God wants you to do. It is rather about the disposition to commit to a continual life of service to the Lord. Hezekiah is saying, come back and start serving the Lord again. So this is his invitation. Return. Give yourselves to the Lord. Come into his presence and begin to serve him again. And I'm just wondering if there isn't somebody here today, given everything we've been through and who knows what else you've been through. And the living God is saying, return. Give yourself to the Lord. Come into his presence and serve the Lord. This is the invitation of God. And this is the promise of God. I love verses 9 and 10. Verse 9 and 10 give us a sense that this is what God says. When you return to the Lord, your brothers and sisters will receive mercy. In the... He's talking there about the Israelites who were captured as slaves by the Assyrians. He's saying God would still rescue you. And, and they would return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious. He is merciful. It's never too late to come home to the Lord. You say, but you don't know what's happened. You don't know what I've experienced. You don't know what I'm going through. It's never too late to come back to the Lord. If you can hear his voice and he is speaking to you, then it means it's not too late. He will not turn his face from you if you will return to him. God is merciful. His grace is is inexhaustible, but you must return. And by the way, let me just say this. The church has often failed. You know why? Because it's full of people like me. And so often in the church, you can see the problems. You can see the faults and the shortcomings. Just like if you look in the mirror, you will see your own. But the church at its best extends the gracious message of God that you are not too far gone to come back home. We extend mercy to those who are humble and will return back to God. And I just want you to know the doors of the temple are open. God 
invitation has been offered. And if you are ready to return, you will find a church family ready to receive you and rejoice with you when you come back to the Lord. There's a choice you have to make. There's the invitation. There's the promise. But you get to respond to the invitation. And I love what we read. Maybe you noticed it. There are really two responses. The first response is found in verse 10, isn't there? It says, the couriers traveled from city to city in the land of Ephraim and Manasseh, as far as Zebulun, but the inhabitants laughed at them and mocked them. The messengers went and said, you can come back to Jerusalem. You can come back to the temple. You can come back to the Lord. But the Bible says here were people who mocked them and laughed at them. And the irony of that should not be missed upon you. Because these were people who were living in the rubble of a ruined country. They were literally living under Assyrian oppression. And the king from Jerusalem says, you can come back home. And yet the response is, they mocked and they laughed. This is the picture of arrogant unbelief. I would rather stay where I am and die than humble myself and come back to God. Hell is full of people who are not repentant, but who will for all eternity in defiant unbelief refuse to humble themselves. And acknowledge the truth about God. And yet, while some mocked and laughed, verse 11 says, some from Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. There were a few who heard the message. There were some who humbled themselves. And they returned to the Lord. And here's what I want you to know. If we humble ourselves and return to God, he will meet us. He will forgive us. And he will take us back. It's the story of the prodigal son. Jesus said, this is the way God is. It's like a dad who had a son and went to a far, far, far country. But when he woke up, he realized what he had done. And how far from home he was, he said, I will arise and go to my father's house. And Jesus said, he's talking to a bunch of Pharisees when he said, he said, this is the way God is. This is the way God is. When the son was afar off, the father ran and fell upon him and kissed him and brought him back in and said, this is my son who was lost and is found. He is dead, but he is alive again. And he killed the fatted calf, and he threw a party. That's the God we serve. Could God do it again? Can God do it here? What do we need right now? We need to come back to the Lord. Remember the old song? Anybody like me old enough to remember some of those old songs? There's an old song. There will be showers of blessings. You know that old song? You sing it. Kind of a happy song. But I went back and looked at the lyrics again this week. There'll be showers of blessings. 
precious reviving again over the hills and the valleys. The sound of abundance of rain. Listen to this, showers of blessings. Showers of blessings we need. Mercy drops round us are falling. But for the showers we plead. And I said, God, thank you for the mercy drops. Little here, little there. A little bit of rain here, a little bit of there. It's always good to have it. But I wonder, is there anybody saying, oh, but for the showers we plead. God, would you open up the windows of heaven and pour out your presence upon us again. God, would you do something bigger than we can describe, greater than we've ever dreamed? Could we live in our day to see a move of God who would shake our church and would shake our city? God, we're thankful for the mercy drops, but for the showers we plead. Send them. Send them. Bring us back to you. I want us to pray together. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed across all of our campuses. And I just, I want to do something maybe a little different today. What a great day. Beginning of a comeback schedule. It's just good to be together, but we're going to sing a final song about what happens when it's all just stripped away and all, all the religion and all the stuff and all the hoop jumping and all that stuff gets stripped away. And, and God brings me back to what it's all about. And we always have people here during this last worship song at every one of our camps. They're ready to pray with you. And, and they'll be kind of standing off to the side today. But I just, I, I tell you what I wanted to do. I just kind of wanted to open the altar up today. At Eastlake, same thing. Seminole, same thing. Just kind of open up the altar. For some of you, it's first time back in a while. I'm so glad. We're so, it's so good to be back. But for some of us, it's been a lot longer since we've been to an altar. Since we've opened the door of our heart and said, God, I need to return. I've gone, I've gone away. I'm coming back. I'm coming back to you. I will return to the Lord. I will give my allegiance to the Lord. I will come into the presence of the Lord. I will serve the Lord, God. I just, I just wanted to open the altar in case you want to come pray. Maybe you're praying for somebody else. Come pray for somebody else. Maybe you're praying, God, send the showers of blessing upon our church. And you just want to come pray for that? Maybe you're praying just for yourself. It's between you and God. But I just want to give you the permission. You have it every Sunday, but I want to give you the permission. You want to come kneel. You want to come stand at the front. You want to come just get on your face or right there where you're going to stand and sing. You can wherever. I, we just want this to be a place, an altar of prayer. The temple doors are open. The couriers have sent the message. The king has invited you to come back into his presence. Return to the Lord. Give your allegiance to him. Come into his presence and serve him again. If you need to come home, come home. And there are pastors who will be glad to pray with you if you want to pray with somebody or if you just want to come pray to the Lord or right where you are, even at home, listening, online, wherever. Just do business with God right now. We want to give you time to do that. Father, how grateful we are for your mercy. 
How grateful we are for the blessed truth that none of us, none of us have gone so far that we have escaped your love. There's no sin so grievous that it erases your grace. The reservoir is so deep beyond what we could describe so that any of us could come. Father, speak to our hearts. We are so obstinate. We are so prideful. It is so hard to turn around sometimes. Father, give us the grace to do it, to turn and to come back into your presence. Lord, I pray for that one who feels like they're far off. Lord, may they hear the message to come home. Lord, I pray for that one who has never opened their heart to receive you. And I'm praying, God, they'll open their heart and say, yes, I want to put my faith in Jesus today. Lord God, I pray you'll move in our midst. Thank you for mercy drops. But oh, for the showers we plead. For the showers we plead today. Bring us back to the heart of worship. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.